Shall we pray together before we begin? Father, we want to just thank you for all the blessings that you've given to us as a fellowship, Lord. Father, we have been so blessed individually as well as collectively. And Father, tonight we are going to be like the one leper that came back to say thank you for all that you've done. And Father, I just want to thank you. I've seen so many people come into the fellowship and they've been in a very bad way sometimes and sometimes financially very badly off. And yet we've seen you prosper them, Lord. And we've seen you bring them into a, a, a place where they have sufficient for their needs. And Father, we just thank you that godliness with contentment is great gain. Father, we don't ask for manifold riches. We don't ask that we should be millionaires. But Father, we do thank you that you love us enough to provide all that we should need. And you've promised that you will do that. Therefore, Father, I just pray, Lord, that as we study these things in your glorious word tonight, Father, that we should really know your quickening upon us. Will you, Father, teach us the truth that we might walk in righteousness before you? And Father, I just want to ask you, in Jesus' name, for all those who aren't here, that, Father, in, that you will teach them the things by the Spirit, that, Father, when we come to the second session, they should not in any way be behind those of us who are present here tonight. Father, please just take us and bless us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to take tonight and next Sunday morning the subject of giving, and specifically the subject of giving money. Now, in some of the uh, fellowship talks, I've actually talked about the fact that giving can be, um, co can cover many things as well as money. You remember I've talked about how we can give time. I think it's in Commune and Community. The, the title of the talk is Commune and Community. And I've talked about how we can give time, how we can give effort, how we can give talents. But as we're studying now giving, I want to relate it specifically to the giving of money or the giving of goods. And I'll tell you why I'm going to do that. It's because the emphasis in the Bible concerning giving is towards money and towards chattels, the things that we own. And I believe with all my heart that it's very specifically pointed in that direction. Because I have found this, that actually my attitude to money and the things I possess really shows my attitude to everything else in the spiritual life. That's what I've generally found. And I found people who find it hard to give, perhaps in terms of pounds, very often are the same people who find it hard to give in terms of time and give in terms of real effort. And therefore, it's important for us to see what the Bible says concerning giving. And we're going to do that. I've generally found that most people don't have a balanced point of view about this. You find some fellowships actually uh, will take a hard line over giving. And there are some places that actually insist that you will give a certain amount, you know. And I've even known some places, incidentally, who actually ask you to show them your wage slip. And you come along and they say, well, if you're joining the fellowship, we want to see how much you earn. And so they, you have to show the particular wage slip. And then they get out a standing order form and you have to make out a standing order so that you will give every month one-tenth of your income into their church coffers. Now, that's one side of it. On the other hand, you've got uh, other people who think it's slightly unspiritual ever to talk about money and ever, really, to mention giving. 
And these churches, it's never mentioned. You know, it's silent. The plate is passed round or there's a box at the door and no one ever is unspiritual enough to actually mention that money has to actually be given into that pla- onto that plate or into that box. And there's the two sides. Both, by the way, are absolutely wrong. On the one hand, if you have a more rigid type of system, very often it ends up with people being fleeced, you know? People giving who actually shouldn't be giving that amount. And I remember so clearly how the Lord really warned me um, about this through Micah chapter 3. In Micah 3, there's a, a, God speaks against the rulers of his day and actually says, why, you've ripped the flesh off my people. You've torn the skin off their backs. You've demanded of them far too much, more than they could bear. And years ago, the Lord spoke that word to me and said, you must never be in that position. That's the hard line position over giving. On the other hand, the soft line position is also useless because that way Christians actually never learn how to give. And most people who are new Christians have to learn how to start organizing their money. You know, so we have to try and get a balanced view right in the middle of those two. And I believe this, that as you stick closely to the Word of God, so you will get a balanced view concerning this thing. And that's why we've got two sessions on it. Now, before we actually come on to the real subject matter of tonight, I want to talk about three basic principles, and these are very important. The first one concerns the role of giving. Why should God be so concerned about giving? And I'm going to express it like this. Giving is not God's way of raising money. Honestly, it's not. Giving is God's way of raising children. And I'd better explain what I mean. God does use the money that we give, but honestly, he owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He doesn't really essentially need that money. But he insists upon giving because it's one of the best ways in which he can train us as his children. And God does use giving to train us. Can I just uh, turn to a scripture which actually tells us about the importance of giving? Turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke Chapter 16, and I'm going to read from verse 10 down to verse 12. Now, this is a very important little section of Luke's Gospel. And it's stating things that many Christians don't actually believe, but which are actually true. He that is faithful, it says in verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And that is a real rule of thumb. It's absolutely true. Now, some Christians think, oh, no, I'll be faithful in the big things. But, of course, I don't, it doesn't really matter about the little things. That's wrong. He that's faithful in the least is also faithful in much. He that is unjust in the least is also in much. Verse 11. If, therefore, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Unrighteous mammon actually is a little phrase meaning material wealth. Why, if you haven't been faithful over the things you own and over the money that's in your pocket, please don't think that you're going to be faithful in true riches, that is in spiritual riches. 
don't think it's possible. It's not possible. The things of this world are passing away. Houses are all going to be destroyed. Every single coin will be melted into nothing when Jesus returns at the very end. And therefore, if these things that are going to pass away cause us to stumble, how, are, how is he able to give us things that are of eternal value going on forever and forever? Therefore, it's important that we get these little things right. Verse 12, And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, that is God's, because God, as we shall see, owns everything, who shall give you that which is your own? And therefore it's true that in the final analysis, how you deal with money actually will dictate how you deal with other things. And I have to tell you this, that very often I can see a man's true spiritual standing when I see how he handles his giving and how he handles the things that he owns. It's very important that we get this sorted out once and for all. You know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If your treasure is in the bank, in the deposit account in the bank, you know, or in the dining room, or in a particular house, a particular room in your house, then that's actually where all your thinking is going to be. But God says the important thing, things are actually with him in the spiritual realm. That's where our heart has got to be. And therefore, we've got to start realizing God will start pointing at these little things to train us in much bigger things. The second principle is another important one, and one we've seen before. God owns everything. God owns everything. Some people who give, you know, act as if God just owns the bit that they give. And so they come along and uh, they say, well, I've given my 15% or whatever it is to the Lord. I've handed that over. Now the rest of it is your own. That's the type of attitude that they get. That's all wrong. Do you know God owns everything in the whole world? There's nothing that we can say is ours. I think when I spoke about this before, I actually told you about my father, you know, when he died. He, all his things were left. Even his bicycle clips were left. He couldn't even take bicycle clips with him. You imagine that. God fundamentally owns everything, including your bicycle clips. And one day he's going to claim it all back, or he's going to claim you. And therefore, we've got to understand everything that we have is God's. No man will ever hold on to his riches. No man is ever going to hold on to the house in which he now uh, abides. Praise God, we don't have to. We've got another one up there, praise God, a mansion which is by far the better thing. Let's just see that. It turns to Psalm 24. And in Psalm 24, <clears throat> we've got a statement of the fact that God owns everything. It does not say here that 10% of the earth is the Lord's. Can I make that quite clear? It says here in verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The fullness thereof means absolutely everything that there is in the earth. The fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs unto God. Oh, the stupidity, you know, of devoting your life to the things that are going to pass away. The absolute stupidity of it. I sometimes look at some people who are busy, longing to win the pools and all the rest. And I remember just a few years ago, a man won the pools and six days later died of a heart attack. 
You know, and that was it. And I just thought, what a stupid thing. He spent 50 years of his life longing to win the pools. And when he got the money, well, it was actually, it was still hot in the bank. You know, it only just been deposited there. He was taken away. He spent his whole life just longing for something which he never enjoyed anyway. It's absolute foolishness. Everything is the Lord's. The third principle then comes from that. If everything is the Lord's, it is important that we are good stewards of that which is the Lord's. You see? So the third thing concerns our being stewards. Everything, God ha- everything you have, God has sovereignly given to you. And therefore, you must make sure that God is the one who can use it if he chooses to. That's why all of us have got to hold everything very loosely. Don't get too comfortable in your house. All our money has got to be held loosely. Everything we have has got to be held loosely. But this actually also means something else. Correct stewardship means that we must make sure that he has the right to do with his own as he pleases. Again, I generally find Christians have one of two problems. There are those Christians who are stingy with God's money, and they hold on to it a bit tightly. And so there's an appeal made, and God says to them, give 10 pounds, they say, Lord... Lord, what am I going to do if I give that £10? My savings will be down to 10360 What am I going to do? And so they really don't like giving £10. So they give £1, you know, and they think that's far more reasonable. You know, the interest will make that up in about three minutes and they'll be all right. That's the type of thing. But on the other hand, you've also got those Christians who are stupid with God's uh, gifts, you know, people who are emotional Christians who actually give when God's not telling them to give. And we've got to be careful. There's a scripture found in the New Testament. Let's go to 2 Corinthians and chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And could I say to you, please, I won't have time this week or on Sunday morning next week to do a detailed verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians 8 and... Sorry, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But it would be very good if you would read those two chapters. They're very important. Now, in verse 6 and verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9, you have the balance. In verse 6, he's talking about the stingy Christians, right? These people actually don't fully realize everything they have is the Lord's. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And this is a picture we're going to see later on in Proverbs. And actually it's an agricultural picture. In the ancient world, if you were a farmer and you had a certain harvest, say your barn was full of wheat, you had to make a decision. And every farmer in Israel had to make this decision. How much were you going to keep to eat and how much were you going to keep to sow? If you sowed a great deal, you'd have less to eat. But if you ate a great deal, you'd have less to sow. And it didn't affect you immediately, but it would affect you next year. You know, if you sowed sparingly one year, the next year you're not going to have so much and the harvest will be smaller. And so he's saying, now be careful when you decide what to do with your goods, exactly what your mental attitude is. And remember this, that the more you use for yourself, it might be that it's cutting down the future availability or the future harvest uh, in, in terms of God's riches to you. So don't be stingy about it, but make sure God tells you how much to give, but then it's the next verse, really, that deals with the slightly weaker Christians. Look what it says. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. 
That's a very important phrase. Giving has to come from your free will. It must not come from any imposition whatsoever. If you are giving because you've got to give, actually to God it's meaningless. You will end up with zero in your bank account in, in heaven. You've got to give as God has laid it on your heart. And then it uses two words. So let him give. First of all, not grudgingly. And secondly, not of necessity. And those words are very important. The first word, not grudgingly, is a Greek word meaning not under emotional pressure. You must never give if you're under emotional pressure. And by the way, there are certain men of God who put you under emotional pressure. It's the big money scene, right? They love emotional pressure. And there they are, you know, at the front, and they'll tell you how they have a real need for money. You know? I've got no petrol to put in my Mercedes outside, or whatever it is, you see? I had to fly only second class when I last went to the Caribbean on my holidays. And they'll really lay it on the line, you know? Other people say, look, there's an unsafe world out there, and we've got to give more to God. And then they assume they're God, because by giving to God, you have to give more to them. And sometimes Christians are put under the most enormous pressure to give. This verse warns you, don't ever give if you're under that type of pressure, because you're bound to give wrongly if you are. I've had to rescue Christians from this, by the way. One chap who could hardly afford to give for fiver had been to a meeting, and it was such an emotional meeting, he'd actually vowed to give 50 pounds a month for the rest of his life. You see, I took one look at him, and I said, oh, how could you have done it? And he said, well, he said, it just seems just right at the time. I went out, I wrote a check for 50 pounds. I said, did you have the money in the bank? Didn't have the money in the bank, you know? But the bank manager would understand. And every month from that time on, he signed 50 pounds away. Now, that fellow had been under emotional stress, and he'd done something that was very silly. In the, in the third month, when his bank manager finally said, no more checks, he actually came to see me, and we managed to get him out of it, I'm very pleased to say. I always find this, that if I am in a meeting where emotional pressure is put upon me, I make it a rule never to give that evening. I always wait till the following morning, right? I always ask God, God, I'm thinking that you're telling me to give this much. In the morning, will you confirm it to me? And then I will send it off in the morning. I am a steward of all that God has given me, and I have to be responsible in that stewardship. This is very important. The next word is this, not of necessity. Necessity describes something. You don't really want to do it, but you feel you ought to do it. And actually, it's related to a Greek word, which means pulling a tooth out. And have you ever, I'm sure you haven't, living in the Lord's health, but have you ever been in the situation where you've got a really aching tooth and you have this awful dilemma? Which is the worse, you know? Is the pain of having it out worse than the pain of keeping it in? Which is it? And you have to actually make a choice. And then finally you come to the decision, well, I don't want to have it out, but I better. And it's excruciating agony. Boy, I've really got to do this. And you go along to a dentist and it's an awful job, you see. Now that's what this word means. And it says, look, if you're going to give like that, please keep your money. That's what it says. If every time you think, oh, blow it. Look at that. The boxes are right by the door. <laughs> if I go out without doing anything, there's always price around or someone like that. 
And I know for a while he'll look at me and he'll be noting it down in his notebook. Oh, they haven't given again this week. <laughs> so I suppose I better. Do you know, we don't work under that type of basis in our fellowship, as you well know. And I would say to anyone like that, please keep your money. Please do, you know. God will get it out of you sooner or later. <laughs> but you just keep it for the moment. That's what I would say. All right, and then it says this, For God loves a cheerful giver. That's it. And a cheerful giver is one who is carefree in his giving. Someone who is certain that God has directed this is how they should give. And so they have an inner attitude of heart. Of course, endless Bible teachers will tell you that the word here is the Greek word for hilariousness, you know. And they always say, God loves a hilarious giver. Actually, I have found that the way some Christians give actually sends me into hysterics. It really does. Um, I could give you example after example of that, but sometimes I just have to laugh. Can I just tell you one little example? A group of uh, quite top businessmen, they were in a particular line of business, uh, got on the phone to me. It was very serious. They said, um, we're having a, a conference. You know, By the way, it's not the four gospel businessmen, may I say. <laughs> we're having a conference in our particular industry, and we're having a whole day of Bible teaching, and we've really sought the Lord. And we know that our people are hungry for the Word of God. And that's why I'm on the phone to you. Could you come and speak on? And he named a certain subject. And I prayed about it and the Lord said, go. I'm so glad that when I go to minister, I go because the Lord tells me to go, you know. And, he, and, and the subject they give me was so difficult. It was one I'd never covered before. I realized it was going to take jolly hard work to cover you and I spent three solid days on that subject, put everything else aside, and I, I was chained to my desk, you know, and I slogged through. Then I went to the conference, spent the whole day talking to them until I was hoarse. And at the end, oh, they were so blessed, it was wonderful. And the man came up to me, I wasn't really expecting anything, you know, I'd done it as unto the Lord. He said, between sessions this afternoon, we went round and we've taken up a, an offering for you, and here's the offering and I said, look, you don't have to give me that. He said, look, we've so appreciated the Bible studies today. We want you to have this. And they're all in their pinstripe suits and everything, you know, and the big cars outside. And so I said, well, thank you very much. It was not in an envelope. And honestly, my curiosity got the better of me. <laughs> I just had to open it up. And inside, there was five pounds. And I'll tell you, I either had to cry or I had to scream my he head off with laughter. And I was a hilarious receiver at that particular time. Of course, I'm in a blessed position because, of course, uh, the Lord does provide for all my needs. But do you know, afterwards I began to think, think of how poor the body of Christ is because of people like that. There are many people who have ministries in Bible teaching who ought to be out Bible teaching, but the trouble is people who say they love the Word of God, who apparently are really devoted to the Word of God and not prepared even to make a little offering to enable people to go out into this ministry. It really was very, very serious, you see. So this is very important. If you're giving, purpose in your heart to give and do it with cheerfulness. Do not do it under emotional pressure and don't do it uh, in the sort of way you go to the dentist to have a, a tooth pulled. So the question for us then is, well, how do you decide then what God wants you to give? And actually, next Sunday, I'm going to lay out the rules 
that you will follow that perhaps God will use to show you how you should give in a particular situation. But today I want to actually concentrate on just one rather confusing aspect of giving. You see, some people, as I've said, take a very rigid line over giving. And there are fellowships around who think that all giving should be done according to a certain strict basis. And it's the basis of tithing. I'll write the word up, T-I-T-H-I-N-G, tithing. If you travel around Britain, you sometimes find these very big barns that are called tithe barns, you know. And uh, the people who were farmers had to give a tithe of their produce, and it was all stored in the barn. A tithe is an old-fashioned word simply meaning one-tenth. And so these people take a very, very rigid view, and they say, you must give a one-tenth of all that you have. That is God's eternal command to every believer. And they then say, on top of that, also, you can give a bit more, you know, in terms of offering. But they, said the, they say this, that the Christian rule is tithes and offerings. One-tenth has got to be given anyway. And so they will actually ensure that people in their church rigidly give one-tenth. The issue for us is this. We as a fellowship want to be balanced in this view is this view of tithing correct? Is it or is it not? You probably know that in our own fellowship we don't insist on the tithing system. And so it's important for us to understand why we don't insist on the tithing system and what we do instead of tithing. All right? I have studied the Bible very carefully on this subject and I'm convinced that tithing is not the rule for Christian giving. And so what I want to do today is actually go through and see why it is not. And how I'm going to do that is this. I'm going to take the type of reasoning that they use and see whether it's true or not. These are lovely Christian brothers and sisters, by the way, and you're bound to uh, bump into them sometime or other. <clears throat> okay? But I want to take their, their system. I've read most of their books and magazine articles on tithing and actually followed the reasoning through. It generally says this, that actually... Um, you must look into the Old Testament to see the rules. And they see that in the Old Testament, we can make a rough divide. You have the period before the law, and you've got the period of the law. And then, of course, you've got the church, in which we find ourselves. Basically, the period before the law goes from Adam to Moses, the period of the law goes from Moses through to about the day of Pentecost. And, of course, the church is from there through to the present time. Now, what they say is this, that tithing was the rule before the law was given. Before the law was given, God always insisted people gave a tenth. You'll actually read this, and they quote a few scriptures which we'll be dealing with in a moment. Then they say, and of course, as everyone knows, tithing was the rule under the law. Therefore, they say, even though in the New Testament there's very little about it, it's God's universal plan for giving and must therefore apply to the church also. And so I want to take that scheme and actually look at it because they're making certain statements and we've got to know, are they right or are they wrong? Is it true that God commanded tithing before the law was given? Is it true that God's system of, of giving under the law was tithing? If that's wrong, 
then in fact everything is wrong. So let's actually have a look, shall we? And let's take the period before the law. This generally is, of course, the book of Genesis. If you look through the book of Genesis, you will actually find only about two scriptures in which a law is laid down concerning giving. And I want to see those two scriptures. Funnily enough, they don't apply to the Jews at all. They apply to the Egyptians. Let's have a look at those. If you go to uh, Genesis 41... <clears throat> Here's the first insistence on an amount. Genesis 41. And here you remember <clears throat> Joseph has just had a dream and the meaning of the dream, which concerned, of course, seven fat cows and seven lean cows, seven fat ears of corn and seven lean ears of corn, was that Egypt would suffer seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And so this is his suggestion to Pharaoh in verse 33. Genesis 41, 33. <clears throat> this is the period before the law was given. Now therefore, he says, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And there is a command to take up not a tenth, but two tenths. So here, one fifth was the rule laid down for the Egyptians. Give one fifth. He says, and that way you'll be spared in the famine. If you go on to Genesis 47, you see the implementation of that. In Genesis 47, verse 23, this is what it says. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I brought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. It shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own for seed for the harvest, for the field, and for your food, and for them of your households, and for the food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants." And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the land of the priests only which became not Pharaoh's. And that is the only mention, funnily enough, before the law of uh, the demand of a fixed amount. And it was one-fifth that had to be given. However, if you look through um, the rest of Genesis, you will find that other offerings were made to the Lord. For example, Cain and Abel, you know, made a free will offering to the Lord. And you remember Abel's was accepted, Cain's was rejected, but they made it. The trouble is in that passage, which is found in Genesis 4, we're not told the amount. It's not told whether it's a tenth, or we're not told whether it's a twentieth, we weren't told whether it's half or what. So we can't learn anything from that particular passage over the amount. In Genesis 8, Noah makes a sacrifice to the Lord. You see, he offered up all the clean animals. Do you remember that? He offered up the clean animals unto God. And there, it definitely wasn't a tenth. It was much more than a tenth in that particular passage. So there's two instances where people offered unto the Lord and no amount is laid down. The two proof passages, however, that they use are actually found in Genesis 14, 
and in Genesis 28. So they're the two we've got to have a look at in detail. Turn first of all to Genesis 14, where we see Abraham. Genesis chapter 14. And this perhaps is the most quoted scripture by people who believe in tithing, as far as before the law was concerned. In this particular chapter, we have Abraham returning from the battle against Chedor Laoma. He won absolutely hands down. He's absolutely thrilled. He and a very small group of men won this battle, and they've come out with all the riches of these kings. Why? It's thrilling. The trouble was, he was in tremendous danger at this point. The danger was that he might think that he won the battle. And he might also think that therefore all the chattels were his. And God has to save him from making a major error concerning this. So he does a lovely thing. He sends along a very godly man called Melchizedek. Some people think this is the appearance of Jesus. It needn't be. He's certainly a type of Jesus. This is actually um, the king of Salem. And in the time before the law, the king of the city was actually the priest for the, that particular city. And this godly man is sent out to meet Abraham. You see? And he comes along and he says wonderful words to Abraham. Here's Abraham absolutely full of himself. Wow, the greatest victory that's ever been seen. It will be on the Sodom and Gomorrah Daily Herald tomorrow. You know, the headlines. And look what happens. Verse 17. The king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And look at this lovely words, and can you imagine the sarcasm and the twinkle in his eyes? He says them. He comes up to Abraham and he says, uh, he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Did you get that point? You know, it's God that owns everything, isn't it, Abraham? <laughs> Good, you're a very blessed man that uh, God owns everything. And verse 20, And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thy hands. And that's the re remembrance given to Abraham. And Abraham here is saved from making the biggest error of his career, thinking he did it. He is reminded God did it, and by the way, God owns everything, doesn't he? And here's the little phrase then. And Abraham gave him tithes of all. Abraham having been taught this wonderful lesson, actually decided to give one-tenth of all that he had taken from uh, Chedorlaomer over to Melchizedek. And there they are. They say, there you are, you see. The tithing rule even before the law. But it's rather interesting, this. First of all, Melchizedek didn't ask for a tithe. Secondly, there's no mention in this passage at all that God demanded a tithe. Abraham decided to give him a tenth. That was all. There's no other significance in this whatsoever, as far as can be seen from the passage. And the other thing is, Abraham undoubtedly gave many, many other gifts in his life, and never again is he said to have tithed. You see? So in other words, over this one man, it's very important, he decided to give a tenth. And that's, that's it. Let's see the other passage. Turn to Genesis 28. And this is a very interesting one. This is the backup scripture that is sometimes used. And here, Jacob has had a vision. And you remember, it's the ladder going into heaven. 
And he wakes up and he suddenly feels the holiness of God. Right? And he takes the stone that he'd used for a pillar and he sits it up, um, you know, in, in the land. He poured oil on top and he called the name of the place Bethel. Now, verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in the way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now, this is very important here. Does this actually say anywhere that God demands a tenth? No, it doesn't. In fact, it says exactly the opposite. Here, Jacob is trying to twist God's arm, you know. This is a nice sort of agreement. Many Christians do this, you know. I remember doing it just before I took my degree when I was at university. Oh, Lord, if you'll make me pass my degree, then I promise that I will do such and such. Sort of, God, if I scratch your back, you will scratch mine, won't you? is the type of thinking behind this, you see. And this is what he's trying to do. Now, you'll notice this. He's asking God very specifically for a blessing. If you will be with me, then I promise to do the following. And one of the things he promises is to give a tenth of everything. God didn't ask him to. And in fact, this shows this isn't the general rule. If it were the general rule, what would be the point of Jacob saying it? You see? No, no, this was a special thing that he tried to arrange as far as God was concerned. So then we are, the two scriptures, therefore, Genesis 14 and 28, that are prove, uh, apparently proof passages to show that tithing was the rule before the law was given, I think actually fall very far short of any such proof. In fact, we have very little information given before the law. So they move on. Now, the, the really strong point of their case, they would say, is the period under the law. And there they would make statements like, of course, we all know, don't we, that the rule of giving under the law was tithing. That's what they say. Trouble is, a chap like me nods his head and says, no, I didn't know that. And I don't know it, even to this day, that the rule of giving to God under the law was tithing. It's just not true. Oh, it is true that a tithe is mentioned, right, under the law. But we've got to look into it a little more closely. And I'm sorry to have to tell those of you who are under a rigid tithing system, the rule of tithing actually meant that you gave 23 and a third percent of your income. Now, I'm sorry to tell you that. In fact, sometimes it was 23 and a third percent, sometimes 25 and a third percent, and we'll see in just a moment. It's rather like those people, I think, who try and live under the Sabbath rule, you know. And <clears throat> these type of people, uh, I, I used to be one of them myself, you would go to church as often as you could on a Sunday, you know, five times, preferably. Any church that was open, you would pop in. And uh, the rest of the time, you'd just play nice religious music, you know. And uh, there were certain records that everyone listened to. You sat round preparing yourself for tea, listening to, to this, and having rather meaningless sort of chat. And that was the Sabbath. Unfortunately, when I read the Bible, of course, I found that the Sabbath rule didn't only say have one day in seven off, it also said have one year in seven, seven off. Now, you imagine going to church as often as possible during that year and playing religious records for the rest of it. Well, well, well. You can't, you know, try and apply rules and then not apply them absolutely. James is quite clear. If you break the law in one part, you've broken it all. 
So therefore, what actually do we mean by tithing? Now, let's, we'll see this in a moment. Under the law, there were things called tithes and offerings. Now, the interesting thing is, everyone, believer and unbeliever, had to pay tithes. Everyone had to pay tithes, and not just one either, as we shall see. You had to pay more than one tithe. In fact, you had to pay two during every year and three every third year. That was the rule of tithing. Everyone had to do it. Believers and unbelievers had to tithe. And this is the fact. Tithing was the taxation of the ancient world. This was the word they used for taxing. Tax. We'll see that in a moment. Offerings, however, are actually the type of giving that we are thinking about. Offerings were only given by believers. We've got to understand that actually, under the law, Israel functioned as a different type of society from our own. They were what is called a theocracy. God was king over Israel. They had no sort of parliament as we had, or, or, or no legislature as we have, God had written the law down in his word and God was the one who would run the country. But he would run it through his priests. And the priests or the Levites were the ones who ran the land. But they weren't only interested, you know, in uh, religious duties. They were interested in distribution to the poor. They were interested in how the law system actually ran. They were interested in all the way, ways that society actually went on in Israel. That's what we've got to understand in all of this. And in fact, the temple or the tabernacle was the central point of their state. Actually, the temple was Buckingham Palace, the Houses of Parliament, and the Treasury combined. Everything was run from the temple. That was the central focus. Everything was run from that. All right, having seen that then, can we first of all turn to Malachi and chapter 3, verse 8. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. This uh, again is a well-quoted scripture. God was king over Israel. He was the king of the land. And God wanted the nation Israel to so function that all the nations around would be thrilled, absolutely thrilled at what was going on there and then perhaps turn to the Lord God of Israel. And look what was happening in verse 8. In verse 8, people weren't paying their tithes and weren't giving their, their offerings. And so he says this, Malachi, the last book, of course, of the Old Testament, will a man rob God, he says, yet you have robbed me, he says. And he's speaking as king of Israel here. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. You have robbed me. Even this whole nation has robbed me, including the unbelievers, notice. You've all robbed me. And this is rather, you know, like Sir Geoffrey Howe standing up, saying no one's paying their taxes. That's what it's saying. And the Queen making an appeal. Please, will someone pay some taxes? Otherwise, Parliament's going to have to close, you see. And it says, verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And some people here have said, meat in his house, you see. In other words, this is giving to God. No. The treasury of Israel, the department that collected the money to run the state, was housed in the temple. It was right at the back. 
Next week, when I deal with the widow's mite, I'll be telling you about how they collected the taxes in, in the ancient world. Treasury was actually in the house. Now, his point is this. Look, if you won't actually give the tithes, then the whole nation is going to collapse into chaos. And it's true in our own land, by the way. The day we stop paying taxes, if everyone in our nation stopped paying taxes, it would be chaotic what would happen as far as uh, our nation is concerned. And the whole nation would uh, go into complete anarchy. Now, that's what God is saying here. And he says, I want my glory to be seen in this land. You're not paying the tithes. You're not even giving offerings. That's what, it's, what the problem is. And the trouble was, you see, that the Levites who ran the society were paid out of the tithes, right? In the way that government officials and MPs and things are paid out of our taxes. And so he was saying, well, these Levites, they've got to go and get other jobs. You see, some people think MPs should have other jobs, of course. But... Uh, but you imagine it, the people who actually uh, work in the civil service having to do other jobs to give them enough money to live in order to run our, our society. It will be chaotic. Now that's what this verse is actually saying. Therefore bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. The equivalent for us would be this. If you are paying your taxes, and every Christian has to pay his taxes, and if you are also giving as unto the Lord, then you will be mightily blessed. But you know full well, don't you? Any Christian who gives to the Lord and then doesn't bother to pay his taxes, well, God's not going to bless him. Any a Christian that's under a fiddle, as it were, God will not bless in that type of circumstance. All right, so let's have a look at these tithes then, and let's see that there was actually more than one. The first tithe for that, let's turn to Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27. <clears throat> Leviticus 27, and we see the first tithe, which I'm going to call the Lord's tithe, the Lord's or the Levite's tithe. There it is. All right, now this is one-tenth, and it's interesting how it's expressed here. Look what it says, verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if you owned a tree, one-tenth of the total produce had to be given lock, stock, and barrel unto the Lord. Right? Some people, however, didn't like doing that. They liked to sell the produce and then give money to the Lord. And then he goes on and says, well, if you want to give me money, you've got to add on a little something. This is interesting. The first tithe is 10% if it's in goods, but more if it's in money. Those of you who are tithing money, please note, right? Do it scripturally, please. Notice what it says. Verse, 30, um, verse 31. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, that means turning it into money, he shall add thereunto the fifth part thereof, in other words, 10% plus 2%, which equals 12%. So if you are a person who believes in tithing and you give in money, please will you start giving 12% to begin with. 
right? Now, I'm just speaking to the tithers among us now, right? The fellowship's going to become very rich in just a minute. <laughs> All right? 12%, please. Now, either that or you can bring along, if you want, uh, goods instead, and then we'll accept just 10%. That will be fine. All right? That's the Lord's offering. Uh, it's called the Levite's offering because in another scripture, we, uh, they were told to give it to the Levites. Let's see that in the book of Numbers. Numbers 18. <clears throat> you know the problem, don't you, that we're dealing with? You know the problem that we're dealing with, don't you? It's because people really don't go deeply enough into the word of truth. That's the problem. And they take an occasional scripture and they base everything on it. All right. In Numbers 18, verse 24. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. This is Numbers 18, 24. I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore I have said unto them, Among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thus speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, When ye take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then ye shall offer it up and heave offering of it for the Lord, even a tenth part of the tithe. And so it goes on. So in other words, this 10 or 12% had to be given to the Lord via the Levites. And this was their property. Now that's one-tenth. Second-tenth coming up. The second-tenth they had to give every year was what I call the festal. F-E-S-T-A-L. The festal tithe. And one-tenth of their income also had to be given like this. Now to see this one, turn to Deuteronomy and chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14... And verse 22. So we're up to 20% now. So already, tithing is not the rule of giving under the law. Now look what it says. <clears throat> verse 22. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. Thou shalt eat it before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of the corn, of thy wine, of thine oil, of the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And do you know, this tenth was set aside for them to travel to the temple. This was to pay all of their expenses when once a year they went um, as families and as tribes unto the temple of the Lord. And every person living in Israel had to go up to the temple. The reason for this is very important. It was to promote something that we in Britain have lost. It was to promote national unity. God wanted a unified nation. And the best way of doing it was by getting all the people to do the same type of thing. And so, one-tenth of their income was set aside so that no one would have an excuse to go to Jerusalem. And up they used to go once a year. It would be equivalent, by the way, of us having to go up to the Trooping of the Colour and actually putting some money aside to pay for the train fare, or a lot of money to pay for the train fare, uh, you know, or the, the petrol and so on, to actually go up there so that there will be a source of national unity. 
And they were instructed, they had to take the Levite, who had no money of his own, he had to be taken. The poor and the others, they had to be taken as well. You see? Every year they had to go up. Now we're at 20% so far. Let's go to the third one. This was the poor tithe. That's the third, one-tenth. And this was not given every year. This was actually given once every three years. Deuteronomy 14, verse 28. Deuteronomy 14, verse 28. At the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and shall lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied, that the Lord thy, thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. And so once every th three years, another tenth was to be given. Now on average, can you see, that's 20% plus 3 and a third percent, which is 23 and a third percent on average per year, or if you're paying in money, 25 and a third percent. And that was the giving that was done. That was the rate of taxation. I'm so interested, you know, that, that uh, Mrs. Thatcher is aiming to get our taxes down to 25 percent. I'm very, very interested in that. That's the sort of biblical norm for taxation, by the way. Okay, 25 percent or thereabouts. Rather interesting. But this was all taxation to run the land. It was not offerings unto the Lord. In other words, this tithing system has nothing to do with giving in terms of giving unto the Lord. And you, my beloved, you're already paying 30%. Some of you may be paying more. Some may be paying just a bit less, i.e. zero. But um, generally speaking, people in Britain pay more than 23 and a third percent tithes. But that's deducted, actually, for most of us, before we receive the money. All of us are tithing in one sense, you see, because we're all paying our taxes. However, this is not the issue. The issue to us is, well, what about giving? Now, were there any rules in the Old Testament under the law for giving? Well, yes, there were, but you know you never find a set percentage anywhere. I'll show you a passage that deals with it. Turn to Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11 is the rule that they would have used for their giving unto God. Here it is. And it doesn't say here, give a tenth of what remains. There's a big discussion, by the way, going on in tithing circles. Do you take a tithe from the pre-tax figure or the post-tax figure? And they have this big discussion about it. You know, well, the answer is the tax itself is the tithe. And mind your own business about the rest. <laughs> That's actually what the Bible says. Praise God. After all, you know, I'm not going to stand and uh, be judged for your giving. You'll stand there and be judged for your giving. I'll be judged for my own giving. You see, it's your business between you and the Lord. Verse 24 of Proverbs 11. There is that scattereth and yet withholdeth. And do remember this verse in 2 Corinthians. Here it is. There is that scattereth yet increases. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tends to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. In other words, when you give, decide on how much you're going to give and then do it with all your heart. 
And the thing in the Old Testament was this. If you gave anything unto God, it had to be willingly given and not forced out of you. You see that time and time and time again. Those with a willing heart gave. And that, you know, is the missing ingredients among Christians. Oh, we give because we have to give. You don't have to give, and please don't give if you're under that type of pressure. You give because you want to give. Then God will bless. And I'll tell you, one pound given with a hilarious heart will actually do more in the work of God than a hundred pounds given as if you're going to the dentist. Right? We've got to learn about this. It's the attitude of heart that really counts. Let's show you a few places where they actually gave offerings. Can I just show you these? Go to, um, I think we'll take them all from one book. Let's go to Exodus again. Exodus 25. And notice the emphasis. It's free will, free will, free will. That's how you give unto the Lord under the law. Free will. Exodus 25, 1 and 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly, with his heart ye shall take my offering. There we are. Tell the children of Israel that if they want to give me an offering, they've got to do it with all their heart. And anyone who's like that, then gladly take hold of their money. Anyone who's not, they can keep it. Right? That's, that's the rule. Do you see the emphasis on willingly in that particular passage? Go to uh, Exodus 35. Oh, and then I think I'll just introduce a little passage in Exodus 36. And I long for the day when we start doing this in the fellowship. However, Exodus 35, 4 and 5. Right? Exodus 35, 4 and 5. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass, blue and purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skin, shitting wood, and all the others. Emphasis again in verse 4 and verse 5. Those who have a willing heart, let them give. There it is. And in chapter 36, look at this. I've never yet heard this said in a church. We may be the first. Look what it says, verse 5. Exodus 36, verse 5. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Now, isn't that lovely? And I've heard this preached on, you know, and, and the emphasis, funnily enough, is always turned round. And they say, Oh, if only we had people who would give like that! You know, and it's sort of extra emotional pressure to give. But actually, this is, this is the opposite. This is actually saying that when they had enough, they said to people, we don't want your money. Hallelujah. At the moment, the tapes, you know, runs on some money from inside the fellowship, some from outside the fellowship. And God's really blessing the tape ministry. It's wonderful. And you know, my longing is for the day I can stand up in the fellowship. I can't do it yet, by the way. Stand up in the fellowship and say, please don't give any more money to the tape ministry. 
Won't that be a wonderful day? Hallelujah. I'm really looking forward to that. I look forward to it in many, many other ways as well. To say the general fund's so overlaid and they can hardly handle the money they've got. Please don't give any more money for at least 10 years to the general fund. Wouldn't that be a wonderful day? Well, I believe it's going to come. You see, I really do. But can you see the, the rule here? Giving to the Lord under the law was as you wanted to. There was no set amount. So do you see, basically, they're wrong concerning their view on tithing. Now, what they then say, you see, is, well, there was tithing before the law, tithing under the law, and therefore there has to be tithing in the church. What I say to you is, there's no evidence there was tithing before the law. There certainly wasn't a tithing system concerning giving unto the Lord under the law. So please don't think that tithing is the rule for the church. And that is why in the New Testament you do not find tithing mentioned anywhere in connection to the church. You don't find it. You do find the word tithe used in three incidents in the New Testament. I think it would be good if we just had a look at these to see that they certainly don't apply to us. Go to Luke 11, uh, 42. Luke 11, <coughs> 42. And here's Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And you know what he's doing? He's telling them off for not moving in correct judgment. And what he's saying is, you're so finicky over some things, aren't you? And yet you let other things go without you even noticing them. I love that little phrase given in Matthew. You strain the gnat and you swallow the camel. I love that little phrase. And there's the teacup and there's a camel and, and a mosquito or a gnat floating in the top of it. And you say, oh heavens, there's a gnat in my tea. And so, you know, you get a spoon or the corner of a handkerchief and there, oh, you take it out ever so carefully and there's the camel floating round. And Jesus says, yes, that's right, talk about all the fiddly things, and down goes the camel. You see? Oh, we Christians are just the same, you know. Oh, I hear Christians sometimes complain. They complain about the most finicky things. Yet in their own lives, there are camels floating about in every cup of tea that they drink. Terrible. Look what it says. But woe unto you Pharisees. This is Jesus, meek and mild, by the way. You know? Woe unto you Pharisees. I love it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. For ye tithe mint and rue. These are herbs. Have you, you know how mint uh, grows and grows, don't you? The picture is here. They say, oh, it's time to tithe the mint. And what they do, they used to go out and tithe all the leaves, uh, count all the leaves on the mint. They used to spend hours doing it, counting all the leaves. And it grows so fast, of course, you can never quite catch up. And then they divide it by uh, ten, and one-tenth would then be carted off and given as an offering to the Lord. That's how legalistic they were. He says, yes, yes, you pay your taxes, don't you, as far as mint and rue is concerned. And then he says, you pass over judgment and the love of God. Look, these ought ye to have done. It is right that you pay your taxes. He said, I'm not telling you not to give a tenth. What I'm saying is, will you get your priorities right? Why did they have to tithe under the law? Well, because it was taxation. God demanded it of them. And it was right that the Pharisees tithe, but they had to get their priorities right. This is nothing to do with the church. You don't live in Israel, right? As a theocracy, none of you do. Let's go to Luke 18, see the other mention. In, some of the God, in Matthew, uh, the same stories are repeated, of course. 
So you find tithing there as well, but it's the same. And here in Luke 18.10, and we won't read it all, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or, uh, or even as this publican. Why, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. There it is, you see, and then he carries on, you see. Well, that is not an instruction to the church to tithe. Neither of those are. Some people think they are. You don't find an instruction to tithe given to the church in these passages. And one other passage mentions tithing. That's in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 7. Verse 5. And notice what he's doing. He's talking about history. He's recalling an incident that happened before the law was given. Look what he says. Verily, they that are the sons of Levi who receive... Um, this is Levi, of course, at the time, really, that the law was given. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people, according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that had the promises. And this is Melchizedek referred to here. And it's stating the fact that Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, but that's simply repeating history. It's not an instruction to the church. And this is, this is what we've got to notice. In the book of Acts, in the epistles written to the churches, not one mention of tithing is made anywhere. Not one. Absolutely not one. And wouldn't it have been easy? Acts certainly would have contained it. And on the first day of the week, right, they put their tithes into the box. Or elders were chosen from among the people to scrutinize the payslips. <laughs> it doesn't say it. And, and Paul, you know, writes a great deal on giving. For example, in 2 Corinthians, as we've seen in 8 and 9, you've got two whole chapters on giving. It would have been simple for him to say, uh, dear bro brothers and sisters, uh, when you give, you must give a tithe and then anything on top as well. It would have been so easy. He doesn't mention tithing. It's nowhere even implied in what he writes. Therefore, can you see, the tithing system is actually a fabrication. It just isn't for the Christian. That does not mean to say, by the way, that you, like Abraham, aren't free to give a tenth if you, if you want to. But don't please think it's a rigid, legalistic um, system of tithing that you're under. You are not. I find some months the law tells me to give, most months the law tells me to give more than a tithe. Occasionally, he tells me just to give one-tenth. Okay, but I'm not under any rigid structure. I do what the law tells me. And one-tenth, he might tell you to give sometimes. I want to say this, you know, that actually the majority of Christians should be giving much more than a tenth. Much, much more than a tenth. But there are some Christians who should not be giving a tenth at all, and I'll be dealing with those perhaps next time. Oh, I had the most tragic experience. A man gave me a lift, a lovely Christian brother. I was having to catch an, a plane somewhere, and he gave me a lift. And I went into his house, and it was, in, it was so poor, I couldn't believe it. His children just were not provided for in any way. You know, I'm not talking about 
the, the, you know, being super duper rich or anything. He really didn't even have the basics. And I asked the Lord, I sort of said, Lord, let him please speak to me about giving. And he sat in the car and he said, Raj, can I ask you something? He said, do you tithe? And I said, no, I don't. And I told him exactly what I felt about the system. And you know, the fellow burst into tears. He said, I've been trying for five years to do it. He said, I've ended up with an overdraft at the bank. I'm in the most terrible trouble. He said, if I could just give a 20th, I'd be all right. You know? And he got himself into debt because of this legalistic system. Tithing has great dangers associated with it. A regular tithing system can produce self-righteousness in those you know, who actually tithe regularly. Why? I tithe, rather like the Pharisee. Yes, I tithe automatically. And some people have a standing order, you know, a tenth goes automatically to the Lord. I feel that's wrong. And we've got to be aware of self-righteousness over giving. After all, we're only giving back to him what is his in the first place anyway. You know? That's crazy. I give you a fiver and then you give me a pound back or 50p and then you feel all self-righteous about it. Well, that's a nonsense. We've got to realize everything we have is from the Lord. I've even known some churches who've said, oh, please, now don't speak about tithing. Roger, don't speak about tithing. If we don't get to tithing, we're going to have to close. We don't get enough money. And all that shows me is they're not teaching the right stuff. That's all it shows me, you see. It's all wrong. And what we've got to do is understand what the Lord is really saying to us, you see. I also want to say one other thing. Tithing, to my mind, is the quickest way to religion and to denominations that I know. As a man who lives by faith myself, and as a fellowship that runs by faith, I'm so glad that we do. The tapes, when it was first decided to send Bible study tapes out, we decided that the basic studies would be sent out free, without any charge made. Do you know why? Do you know what the purpose was behind that? It was this, so that God could close the ministry down any time he chose. You see? He could close it down. He can close it tomorrow. He really can close it any time. But the trouble is, if it's supported by a regular sort of tithe coming in from the fellowship, why it's going to keep open as long as we want it to keep open? And I actually know some ministers who are on a regular tithe income. And you know, some of those ministers, they began in the spirit, and now, why, they've got their feet up. And I know full well, because I have to minister to their people. And they actually say, well, they've got 10,000 a year coming in. No one can touch it. And so the result is, they're not you know, God can't switch them off. Well, I'm very pleased to say God can close down my ministry any time at all. And you know who's going to let me know? My bank manager will. Right? He's going to send me a little letter saying, Roger, the Lord's not providing anymore. He won't actually use those words, but that's what the import is going to be. We must never get to a place where religion dominates. And that is why when we have our, our annual general meeting, when the accounts are laid before everyone because it's important to have completely open accounts, you will find not all the giving is there. An awful lot of giving is done without anyone knowing. Gifts are given around the fellowship. I'm always thrilled when I hear someone's walked off with £100 in their pocket. They don't know who it came from, but there it was. Oh, and a, an Irish half penny, right? <laughs> and there it is, and it's in their pocket. And they don't know who it's come from. And someone's given. That does not appear on any sheet, but it appears in heaven. That is what giving is all about. We've got to beware of religion. All right. Having said all of that, and just to close, I want to say this. In the past, I've made a mistake concerning tithing. I've concentrated only on the fact that I don't believe in tithing. But I have realized, and the Lord's really convicted me, that 
I've got to also give the positive side of giving. If it's not to be tithing, what is it to be then? And we must beware, all of us as Christians, that we don't use this freedom that's given in the Bible as an opportunity for our flesh. It's so easy to do. We must make sure that we are scrupulous in our giving, every one of us. But to do that, you don't have to be under a tithing system. So next time, I will be dealing with, as it's not tithing, what is it then? Now, I will be laying down some general guide rules to actually show us how we ought to give. All right? Next time, then, we'll be on Christian giving unto the Lord. God bless you all. Amen.